Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, as we get started in the message today, let me ask you, have you ever had an experience with a really bad salesperson? You know, someone who just fumbled through the pitch or the delivery. Maybe they forgot really key information about the product or the service that they're trying to offer you. And really, when you look back on that experience, it may have been so bad that they actually talked you out of the service or product that they were trying to push you. It's just kind of weird to have that experience, and maybe you can relate to that. Well, as we're in week number three of our series, I Am, what we're going to see today, the way that I'm going to describe it, is that Jesus, in a way, is making a self-sales pitch. As he's doing in all of these weeks of this series, he's describing who he is. He's describing himself. And today, as he did a couple weeks ago, he's describing it to a crowd of people, just out in the open, out in public, describing who he really is. They seem to want to know more about him, and he's going to let them know. What we're also going to see, though, is that really, through no fault of his own, this pitch goes terribly. I mean, the results that he sees at the end of this are not what you would think of as successful. Uh, He has a lot of people interested at the beginning of the pitch, but then by the end, uh, there's hardly anybody left to even have an interest in what he's talking about. But the reason that that happens is what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to be in John chapter 6. And so today's I am statement, we'll go ahead and let you know, is... I am the bread of life. And the reason that I'm going to let you know that's what it is at the beginning is it's going to take us a while to get to that statement because it's in the middle of a very lengthy dialogue that Jesus has with people in a large crowd. So there is a little bit of scripture we're going to work through today, but it is going to be helpful, I think, to do that, to look at their discussion and how we get to this statement and what it really means. So the reason that Jesus' self-pitch, if you will, doesn't go well is because the crowd makes three crucial mistakes in understanding Jesus. Three crucial mistakes that the crowd makes to misunderstand, really, Jesus. They don't see who he really is. And as we look at this same passage today, we're going to see that many times we can make these same mistakes. Many times our culture makes these same mistakes. So we have the wrong idea about Jesus or an incomplete idea about Jesus, and we miss the real Jesus, the full Jesus, the accurate Jesus, because of these three main mistakes. So let's hop right into it. We're going to look at the beginning of how this conversation starts, and we'll go back in the story a little bit here in just a minute, and then even back into the Old Testament a little bit today to get some context into this conversation that Jesus has where he says, I am the bread of life. 
So we're going to be in John chapter 6, and we're going to start today in verse 22. This is going to set up the scene for this conversation. John 6, 22, it says, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So the first mistake that we see here that we're going to explore for a minute that the crowd makes is that they doubt Jesus's compassion. And they don't entirely do this, but they do to a certain degree that we'll talk about. But we certainly are guilty of this attitude or this mistake sometimes in our own life. What I find interesting here is how we left off this conversation. Jesus says, you just want me because I can do cool tricks. You just want to hang with me because of what I can offer you. You just want to be around me to see me heal people and do miracles and stuff. You don't really want what I really have. So Jesus kind of comes off a little bit rude here, a little bit harsh here. You could even say a little cold, maybe a little discompassionate. So that's the the thing that it seems like he's doing. But let's go back to the beginning of this chapter and just see how that's not true at all. Because what's just happened earlier uh, that the evening before, Jesus had been teaching on this hillside in front of thousands of people. And after he's been there for quite some time, so John's account says they've been there for a long time. Matthew has a similar account, so it's either the same account from Matthew's point of view or Jesus did the same miracle maybe more than once. But Matthew says they've been there for three days without a lunch break. And so it's not that the people complain about being hungry. It's not that they come to him with their complaints. No, it's Jesus's initiative, Jesus's idea to feed them. Because he looks at his crew, his guys, his disciples, and says, hey, we've been here for a while. How are we going to feed all these people? So he's showing compassion by default because he's concerned about them. He's like, I'm not just going to teach and preach and heal and minister and do all this stuff and then leave them hungry after they've been here for hours, maybe days. We need to feed these people. We need to feed them. So Jesus shows compassion here in this situation, but how quickly the people could maybe think, well, you don't care about us because you're being mean. You're being rude. You're hurting our feelings, Jesus, because you say we don't really want what you have. That's not nice. But Jesus does indeed show compassion and has already shown compassion to this crowd. In fact, when you read a synopsis here of a time in his life from Matthew, we see how Jesus was always full of compassion for people. Here's what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. It says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
So we see here this phrase actually that, that Matthew uses is repeated many times throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. He had compassion on the crowds. Many times he felt sorry for them. He knew they had many needs. He knew their needs were great. He knew to most people they were too much, but he had compassion on them. So he's constantly thinking of others. He's constantly putting himself uh, below others. He's constantly doing things for everybody else all the time. That was his entire life and ministry. He was full of compassion. In fact, what you could say, you could accuse the crowd here in John 6 of them not having compassion. Because again, Jesus has been teaching, preaching, healing, ministering all day long, maybe for multiple days. Then he thinks, we got to feed him. We got to feed him. He takes a kid's lunchable, five loaves of bread and two fish, creates a miracle and has enough to feed thousands of people plus have leftovers. So he's given of himself. Then he tries to hop in a boat to get across the lake to maybe take a nap, maybe take a breather, maybe recharge the batteries, but the crowd will have none of it, right? They want more. They want more. So they follow him. They stalk him across the lake. You could almost accuse the crowd of being uncompassionate or discompassionate toward Jesus. Let's take this to our level, though, to our time, because you might think, well, this Jesus thing, it's just a religion. It's just a philosophy. It's just a thinking man's thing. It, there's no action to it. He doesn't really care. Maybe you're in a situation and you kind of are getting bitter at God. and You're thinking, okay, God literally really cannot, does not, will not care about what really matters to me. He's not helping me. He must not care about my physical needs at all. He must not care about anything that concerns me. It's all about religious kind of talk and, and inaction. But that's not true. Because even Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus in one of his letters, 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your cares upon Jesus. Why? For he cares for you. Jesus does care about what you care about because he cares about you. And as we have seen, the ministry of Jesus is very practical. It's not abstract thought or ideas or religious sentiments. It's he really cares about the people. He met the needs of the people. He cared about their everyday lives and situations. And then Jesus also makes his commands to his followers very practical in the same way. He tells his followers, hey, you're supposed to clothe the naked. You're supposed to feed the hungry. You're supposed to give water to the thirsty. You're supposed to visit the sick in the hospitals and those that are in prison. He is very much concerned, even today, about your physical, natural situation. He cares. And he's called us as his church, us as followers of Jesus, to follow in line with that command after his example. And so at first century, that's our aim. That's our goal. That's why so many of our community events and outreaches are very physically based. They're very practically based. So it's giving meals at Thanksgiving. It's adopting families at Christmas. We did a diaper drive years ago. So it's about meeting real needs of real people in our community. That's the point of the church. That's the mission of the church is to spread the gospel by any means necessary, including meeting physical felt needs of our community. So let me say this. If you have one of those needs, especially at this time, please reach out to us and let us know that you have a need. 
Let us know what's going on, how we can help, how we can resource you, how we can find someone at least to resource you and help you, even in your greatest time of physical need, a need that you have. We would love to do all we can to, again, be the example of Christ, follow his commands, and that is to be compassionate, a compassionate people. So let's continue on here with the second mistake by continuing on where we left off at verse 26. So John 6, 26, we'll pick it up here. Here's what it says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the second mistake that the crowd makes here is they underestimate Jesus' simplicity. They underestimate Jesus' simplicity. I want you to finish this statement for me, okay? Finish this statement. If it sounds too good to be true... Yeah, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Can I just encourage you with this? That is not ever true with Jesus. If it sounds too good to be true, it is true with Jesus. Look again at what happens here. The people say, yes, we want what you're talking about. We want to receive this. And they say, what do we do? Tell us exactly what to do. And Jesus says, just one simple thing. Believe in the one that God has sent. Believe in me. And the people who are eager to know exactly what to do, they say, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, right, Jesus. I'm sure that's, that's the secret to life is to believe in you. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's the answer to all of our questions, to all of our problems is to believe in you. Yeah, sure, pro- no, no problem. We'll do that. Ha, right? So what they do here is... is it's they, they probably are from Missouri, is what I think. This crowd is from Missouri. You know why? Because they say, show me. That's what they do. They, they won't believe the simplicity of what Jesus has told them to do, and so they overcomplicate things. They say, show us a miraculous sign. Prove to us that you are who you claim to be. And my response to that is, did, did you forget what just happened like 18 hours ago on the other side of the lake? Did you forget that a little boy brought his lunchable, his five loaves of bread and two fish, and an entire arena of people were fed? Did you forget that sign? Was that sign not good enough for you? Are you that short-sighted? Are you that, do you have like memory issues? Did you forget? That's a pretty big sign. What else did Jesus have to do to prove that he is who he says he is? All you have to do is believe in him. What else do you want? But sometimes we can be guilty of the same thing. Sometimes we can complicate the simple. Sometimes we can grow tired of the simple. We'll say, it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. There's got to be more to it. I must be missing a step. I must be missing a series of steps. That's all it is. Belief, faith, 
Trust? That's all it is? Really? It's gotta be, we, we see, we complicate the simple, and sometimes we grow tired of the simple. If you go back to the book of Exodus, the ancient Israelites have just escaped Egyptian bondage. For 400 years, they've been slaves in Egypt. And so they miraculously are saved by God through the hand of Moses. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're on their way to their own land to have freedom forever. And, but they're in the desert, and they have no food because there's not really a lot of food in the desert. There's a lot of these people. They didn't really pack anything because they were running for their lives, you know. And so they're getting concerned. We don't have any food, Moses. This is a problem. We were slaves in Egypt. Yeah, but at least we had food. We're going to die here in the desert. Is this why you brought us out here is to kill us, to starve us to death? So they complain, they murmur, they get concerned. And so God does something amazing and miraculous and simple. He provides something called manna, this food that falls from the sky every night. So when they come out in the morning, it's there for them to pick up and have enough for the day. God provides supernaturally for 40 years in the desert with this manna. But you know what happens? Eventually, they tire of the simplicity. In Numbers chapter 11, they begin to complain. I need more variety in my diet. I'm getting tired of magical food falling from the sky in the desert every day for decades. I'm tiring of the miraculous because it seems too simple. There's got to be more here. There's got to be more. So they complain. They grumble. It's not enough for them. They try to complicate the simple. So what we can do here is see our lives in one of two ways. And I'll use bread as an example since we're talking about bread today. We can see bread in one of two ways. You can see bread as simple or you can see bread as a staple. So you can say, oh, it's bread, it's simple, there's not much to it, you know, it's bland, it's blah, I don't want to eat that all the time. Or you can see it as a staple. There's so much possibility here. This is a common object. It's got value. Everybody can relate to bread. So it's not just in seeing bread in that way, but that's a great way to see life overall. We can see what God does as simple, and uh, or we can see it as supernatural, miraculous. He provides. He cares. He listens. He's always there. He's consistent. But the issue that the crowd has with Jesus is really a larger issue. It's a deeper issue. They reject him because he himself seems too simple. Let's see what, what we mean by that as we continue on in this conversation. This is John chapter 6. We'll pick it up at verse number 32. Here's what happens. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now let's skip down to verse 41. Here's the people's response to that. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? So they're underestimating the simplicity of Jesus himself. You see, Jesus was not what Israel was really expecting in their Messiah, their deliverer, their savior. 
For hundreds of years, prophets had talked about the one who would come and he would deliver people. He would be a second Moses. So the people see Jesus and they're like, yeah, he's a carpenter, not a king. Yeah, uh, he's a rabbi, not a revolutionary. He's gentle. He's not a general. You see, they had in their mind someone of authority, someone of power, someone of rank, at least someone who would saber rattle, at least someone who would overthrow the government. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for this big, bigger-than-life, complex, huge type of person. And along comes this regular dude from a regular family, carpenter's son, a teacher, and a weird one at that. Yeah, he does some cool stuff now and then, and some of the stuff that he says is interesting, but this is not who we expected. And so what they do in this instance, partially for that reason, is they reject him. Again, it's too simple, too good to be true. There's got to be something else. There's got to be someone else, someone different. It's not this guy. can't be. So they reject him then, and then that's overall why he's rejected. He doesn't fit their idea and their ideal of who they're looking for. He can't be the guy. He can't be. There's got to be somebody else. It's too simple. But let's continue with this point just for a second and look at really the beauty of the simplicity of Jesus. There is beauty in his simplicity. And here's what it comes down to. Later on in the conversation, we see sort of the result of this conversation. And and here's what happens. John 6, 36 and 37. Jesus says, But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. Again, the crowd rejects Jesus. Because here's what happens at the very end of this account in John 6. So after he feeds the 5,000, at the beginning of John 6, he's got thousands of fans, thousands of people that will do anything to get one more glimpse of Jesus. How close can I get to him? But then after this conversation, the next day, he's down to his original 12 dudes, basically. And he even asks them, he says, are you guys going to leave me too? Are you guys offended too? And they say, nope, we're with you, Jesus. So he's like, whew, at least I still got 12. I had 12,000, now I got 12. So again, the pitch doesn't go well, but it's because he was too simple for them. But here's the beauty of the simplicity of Jesus, and that's found in this statement that we see here. The idea is that people may reject Jesus, but Jesus will never reject people. Let me say that again. That's powerful. Maybe you need to hear this today. People may reject Jesus, but Jesus won't reject people. That's the simplicity of Jesus. Does that sound too good to be true to you? It's not. It's not too good. It, It is true. It's not too good to be true. It is true. The simplicity of Jesus says, hey, come as you are. Give me your heart. I won't turn away from you. I won't turn you away from me. That's the simplicity and the beauty of the message of Jesus. Don't underestimate his simplicity. It's not too good to be true. It's true. Don't overlook Jesus. Don't underestimate him because, oh, it's too simple. It's too easy. There's got to be more steps than that. Nope, that's it. Believe in the one that God has sent. End of story. Full stop. That's the beauty of the simplicity of Jesus. So don't underestimate his simplicity. 
And the third mistake that the crowd makes here in John 6 is they confuse the true purpose of Jesus. The crowd confuses Jesus' true purpose. And this ties back to the beginning of where we started in John 6, where Jesus, remember, he comes off a little bit rude here. He says, well, you just want to follow me and be with me because of my miracles, because I, I fed you. You don't really want what I'm really all here about. So it ties back in here. So what I want to do is kind of go through Jesus's part of this dialogue uninterrupted. So we're going to cut out the people's response to him. And we're just going to go, these are the highlights. These are the bullet points. This is the main crux of the message of Jesus here in John 6. So we're going to skip down throughout this passage here. So again, one more time, verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Then skip down to verse 35. Jesus replied, I am, here it is, I am the bread of life. We finally get to today's I am statement. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then verse 40, for it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then skip down to verse 47 through 50. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. So again, let's connect from the first mistake. Does Jesus care about the physical? Yes, absolutely. He is full of compassion, full of care for our physical needs. However, Jesus understands that our greatest need is not physical, but spiritual. And so what we see here, this language that he uses is similar to language he'll use a little bit later in John chapter 8. He meets a woman at a well, a woman with a lot of scar tissue on her heart, a woman who's been in and out of a lot of relationships, a woman who's an outcast in society because of how she's lived her life. She's a screw up. She makes mistakes. She picks the wrong kind of men. She's not faithful. So she's got a lot of baggage here, a lot of personal stuff. Jesus meets her at a well while she's getting water by herself, and they begin to talk about her life, what's real to her, her physical situation, her relational situation. But then it doesn't take Jesus long to get to her real need. And he says, hey, listen, you've been searching your whole life, at least your whole adult life, for something that you've never been able to find. Let me tell you, I'm who you've been looking for. And he means that in a spiritual way. He says, everything that you're really, truly, deep down, desiring, missing out on is found in me. He, and he claims again, like he does here, he is the Messiah. He is God's son. He is their savior, their deliverer, their redeemer. He is the one that she has been looking for and the one that they've been looking for in John 6, this crowd here. So he uses the same language, but they don't believe him. The woman in John 8 does, it, this, this encounter changes her life and turns her entire community upside down for Jesus. But the crowd here in John 6, they're not buying it. They're not buying it. Jesus' primary mission was overlooked by the people because it was spiritual, 
The main point of his mission was always spiritual. Jesus says elsewhere in Luke 19, 10, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. Yeah, I'm going to meet needs, and yeah, I'm going to do miracles, and yeah, I care about physical aspects of your life, but the core need that we all have is spiritual, to draw us closer to God, closer to our Creator. And I'll mention what we didn't mention last week, but did mention the first week, and that is this phrase, I am, is used by Jesus very specifically for a reason, on purpose to send a message. So this term, I am, in the Greek is, is pronounced ego eimi. This is the exact same way that God described himself and revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Jesus uses the same language that God used to Moses to reveal himself as the one true God. What Jesus is doing is saying, hey, my mission is obviously truly spiritual because I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am God. My mission is spiritual. Now, it's possible, maybe even probable, that this was the main hang-up for the crowd. Once he used these words And this type of language, they're totally out. They're saying, you're definitely not the guy we thought you were. You're definitely not the guy that we were looking for. You had us fooled for a while. Your tricks are cool. Your miracles are neat. Your teaching is clever, but you are not the guy because you wouldn't talk that way. But Jesus says, don't confuse my true purpose. It is and always has been spiritual. Now, again, let's relate that to our lives for just a second. Let me say this, and I'm going to make a really terrible sales pitch for Jesus, just like he did, but it's going to, what I'm going to say is going to be accurate. Jesus may not always make your life easier, but he will always make your life better. Again, the purpose of Jesus is not to take away all your problems, not to figure out every roadblock in your life. He's going to help you navigate life. He's going to help you get over and through roadblocks and problems and difficulties. He's going to bring ultimate victory in your life, yes. But Jesus may not always make your life easier, but he does always make your life better. And there's no better example of that than the original disciples of Jesus. They all but one gave their lives, really all but two, I guess. Judas hanged himself and John died an old man. But the other ten all gave their lives for Jesus. So, Did Jesus make their lives easier? (laughs) No. They left everything that they knew to follow him in the first place, left their jobs, their homes, their family, their income, everything that was comfortable and normal for them to follow him. And then after he was crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended, they literally gave their lives for the cause of Christ. He didn't make their lives easier, no, not, not at all, but he made their lives better. They were willing to sacrifice everything because they knew it was worth doing. They, were, they saw with spiritual eyes. They had an eternal mindset. So again, let me say this to you. Let me encourage you with this reality of Jesus, that his mission is spiritual. Don't confuse his true mission. It's spiritual. Because Jesus may not offer you ease, but he does offer you peace. Jesus won't necessarily offer you excess in your life, but he does offer you true success in your life. Jesus does care about the short term of your life, of your existence, of your needs. He does care about the short term, but his goal is always thinking and looking long term. 
That's always been his goal, his main goal, his main mission, always has been, always will be, and that's true for your life as well. But we can trust in him because that's the case. He takes the long view. He's not getting freaked out about short-term things because he sees the long view. He's not worried about what we worry about because he sees the long view. As much as he's concerned about short-term, long-term is his goal. So it's my hope that we can avoid these mistakes. It's my hope that we can avoid these traps, if you will, so that we don't miss who Jesus really is, so that we don't miss what he really came to do. We can trust him to provide for our needs. He is full of compassion. We can trust his simplicity. That's the point. It's simple. It's not complicated. Anyone and everyone who believes can come to him and they will find forgiveness, find grace, and find newness of life in Jesus. The simplicity is the point. And we can trust that Jesus' heart is for our ultimate good. He cares about the here and now, but he's ultimately concerned about the long view, about the condition of our soul, the condition of our spirit. So that's Jesus, who is the true bread of life. He cares, he loves, he accepts, and he's always there for all of us. Let's pray. God, today we look to you and we trust in you for our provision because we know that you do care for us. You do have compassion for us. God, we place our faith in you today in the simplicity of your message the simplicity of who you are. God, we, we put our faith in your son. It's a simple message, but that's the beauty. That's the point, is that it is so simple. Anyone who will come, let them come. And so we do that today. We take you at your word. We believe that you took your sin, our sin upon yourself, that you take us as we are, that you make a way for us to connect to God. And if we do this, Jesus, we will experience peace, hope, joy, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of difficulty and all the unknowns of life, we trust you. We place our confidence in you and we thank you that you are so simple, but you are so essential. You are so accessible, but you're so powerful that you care about the short term and ultimately the long term. And we place our faith, our hope, our trust and our confidence in you, and give every day and every moment over to you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously, before we leave, I'd love to connect with you. And so if you made a decision toward Jesus today, I'd love to hear about that. Uh, you can email me at first, uh, I'm sorry, at Stephen at firstcenturykc.com. If you just want to connect with us, again, email me there and we'll connect and, and we'll find a way um, to find out how you, what you're interested in as far as the church and how we can be of help and benefit to you. Last but not least, if you have a need during this time or you know someone who has a need during this time, please reach out and let us know how we can serve you as the hands and feet of Jesus to follow his example, his command to be um, helpful in this time of need. So let us know any need you have that we can meet and we love to do that. Again, thanks for joining us to, uh, today at First Century Church Online. Uh, stay tuned for further schedules and updates and all that sort of thing. And until then, have a great week and God bless you.